0: Welcome everyone to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. I'm Dr. Andrea Spiker from the University of Wisconsin. Today, I am joined by Dr. Melody Metzger, who is an assistant professor and director of the Orthopedic Biomechanics Lab at Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles, California. Dr. Metzger is a PhD researcher whose research focuses on orthopedic reconstructive devices and techniques. Dr. Metzger was the senior author of the article titled Comparable Torque to Failure Using the Simple Stitch Versus the Figure of Eight Configuration for Hip Capsular Closure Following an Interportal Capsulotomy, a Cataveric Study, which was published in the December 2022 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal. Dr. Metzger's co authors were David Maldonado, Michael Banfi, Dave Huang, Trevor Nelson, Shrey Kanjaya, and Duraj Yalamanchili. Welcome, Dr. Metzger, and thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Melody, can you tell us a little bit about your lab and research to start?
1: Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Um, I've been here at Peter sinai for a little over 13 years, and the lab initially started as a spine biomechanics lab. Um, my, My dissertation and my background when I was in graduate school was mainly focused on researching the biomechanics of the spine. But about four years into my uh, position at Cedars, the ortho ortho department became an actual department. Prior to that, it was sort of housed in the department of surgery. And so in that growth, we started doing a lot more research. And it was sort of like, can you do this knee project? And can you do this? So we've grown and transitioned as a lab to take on basically all orthopedic projects. You've done everything, I, I often joke, it's head, shoulders, knees, and toes. You've you've done every joint system in the body, and honestly, you know, coming from the spine where you have, you know, a bunch of different joints stacked on top of each other, all the other joints, it's all just looking at how forces and torques you know, and how the body reacts to those forces and torques when subjected to them. So, you know, regardless of what joint system, it's all looking at forces and moments and angles and so on.
0: That's wonderful. Now, we'll be discussing a per- this particular project in more detail momentarily, but can you tell us briefly about some of the other collaborative projects you've completed with orthopedic surgeons or that you are currently working on?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, like I said, we kind of started as a spine biomechanics lab and we we initially focused on doing some of the initial work on looking at intervertebral disc replacement, both lumbar and cervical disc replacement devices. We've also done a lot of animal models looking at spinal fusion. And then started collaborating more with our sports medicine affiliate, which includes the project that we're going to discuss today, which is the Cedars-Sinai and um, job Institute. And we've done a lot of projects in this investigating different techniques surrounding ECL reconstruction and repair. Elbow, uh, UCL reconstruction. And then we've done um, several different hip projects, again, including the one that we're going to discuss today, including ones that have looked at over resection of the femoral head during um, osteochondroplasty or femoral osteochondroplasty and how that affects the distractive stability of the hip. And then we also did another interesting study with similar authors, uh, D- Dr. Maldonado and Bamsey were on this as well, where we were looking at um, the thickness of. Uh, graph when performing a labral circumferential labral reconstruction, which also had a really interesting results. And, and so, the HIP project probably started a few years ago. Uh, we've also done a lot of work with our foot and ankle team. We've um, looking at different techniques. We had um, we won an award at or the new investigator award, which was awarded to a previous resident who's now an attending here for looking at tendon transfers for patient with Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease. We also have our uh, different projects with our trauma team. And some of the more interesting work that I've been doing is looking at sex and gender differences in orthopedics. As we all know, you know, there's not a ton of women in the field of orthopedics, so I've been involved with the PERI initiative. We also have an article coming out in JAMA next month. I think it's due to hit the internet February 8th where we're looking at racial and sex disparities and resident attrition rates, specifically in orthopedic surgery. So we do a lot of different projects and, again, provides a lot of different opportunities to collaborate with many different orthopedic surgeons and different subspecialties.
0: That's fantastic. And, you know, it sounds like you are indeed covering all the joints in the body, but also so much more of the... Um, social and, you know, supertentorial aspects, which are important in um, not only orthopedic surgery, but engineering as far as uh, under-representation of our um, surgeon cohort as well. So that is really encompassing uh, a lot of important topics within orthopedic surgery and engineering. That's wonderful.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, and I I mean, it definitely keeps me on my toes. I think, unlike some other labs that maybe have more depth in one area, I have a lot of breath, but I enjoy it, and it definitely keeps me on my toes.
0: So now, if we can return to the paper that we're discussing today, you know, as an as a practicing orthopedic surgeon and hip arthroscopist, you know, I know as as do many of us that the one of the most common reasons for revision hip arthroscopy is actually residual impinging bone. We also know that the best way to prevent this cause of revision hip surgery is to improve our visualization during femoral plasty. Um, most readily accomplished by either an intraportal or T capsulotomy. And then as you discussed in your paper, more and more literature has really supported our complete closure of the capsule for best patient outcomes. So this study that, that you've published really represents a very important and timely clinical question related to how we perform a capsule closure Um, but really requires your expertise in biomechanical testing to obtain that answer. So can you discuss with us how your team came up with this specific question related to how we close the capsule and then, you know, really go through a step-by-step process of how such a project comes together?
1: Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And you're absolutely right. Uh, The iatrogenic damage that occurs to the surrounding soft tissues has something is something that's kind of been ignored for a while. I think a lot of people think that the bony congruency between between the femoral head and the acetabular cup was sufficient stability. It provided sufficient stability, and we didn't really have to worry about these soft tissues. But as we learn more and more, um, we're really understanding that there are issues with micro instability and subluxation and even dislocation and uh, when we don't properly repair these structures. And it's interesting because as I was doing this paper with Dr. Maldonado and Dr. Banffy, I was planning a backpacking trip with a friend of mine. And she's a big backpacker and her mom passed away. So we're planning this trip to kind of honor her mom. And we were going to go and hike, I think it was about four to five days up in the Sierra's. And as we're planning it, we ended up having to cancel it because my friend had surgery for FAI. She had a bony resection to correct some cam deformity, and she had that about 10 years ago. And the surgeon who treated her never bothered to really take care of the uh, to manage the capsule, or and there was a lot of damage to the labrum. And she was going through, and she had to get a second surgery to have those repaired, and she was having continual issues with it. And it was really specific to a hole that had formed in her capsule. So, you know, it just kind of really solidified how important these structures are. And when you ask specifically about how did we come up with this specific question, I really do need to give credit to my co-authors. So Dr. Stampey is fabulous to work with. He's been attending at Cedar sinai killing Job Institute. And he's always kind of pushing the limit as um, how to kind of control these things that we are worried about with micro instability. And then Dr. Maldonado was a fellow at the time who is now at I think UC Health in Houston and so the biomechanical di- design was something we already had in place we had another project we were looking at um, comparing crusting capsulotomy and, and its subsequent repair to a t-capsulotomy so we had the design already in place but the question about figure eight uh, was really something that Dr. Bampi was using clinically on people who had maybe thin tissue and so he was using this because he believed it was less likely to pull out. Um, but he was con- he had concerns that it was um, this sort of actively tightening the tissue uh, was creating a closure that could potentially be too tight. So based on the data that we have here, he's been using this on everybody. Uh, from what I understand, it's really changed his clinical practice to primarily using his, and for his uh, preference to primarily be the figure eight technique. So it's really been. Interesting to see this evolve from, you know, here I have this very clear example with a friend of mine who's having issues with her hip to working with Dr. Bampi and trying to find a solution. And, um, you know, like I said, we've done hip projects in the lab before, and then watching how it actually changes this clinical practice has been a really interesting evolution for me.
0: Yeah, that is a, a real life example of how what we do in the lab and what we can publish actually changes people's lives. Yeah. When when you are designing these types of studies, what do you find to be the most challenging components of creating a successful project like this one?
1: So the most challenging components are we're very limited uh, with what what we can control and what we can't. So for instance, when you're working in the biomechanics lab and you're primarily doing these cadaveric studies, you don't have the active stabilization system, which is the musculature. You're really just working with the passive stabilization. So it's important to keep that in mind as you're um, putting these studies together, because you know that that's a component that we have to think of when we start to apply these in real life. And the other challenge, specifically when we're looking at these hip studies, is when you remove the hip from the body, you Uh, you know, it's really hard to orient it in terms of things like pelvic tilt and how the hip is situated in relation to the thighs and the rest of the body. So, you know, really having a concise way of making sure you're consistently potting and placing that specimen and each specimen in the same exact orientation is, is difficult, but yet really important to get good results.
0: And that leads to my next question. You know, in this study, this biomechanical model, you were able to replicate as best we could how, to, how the native hip moves. Um, and so, for example, in the study, you chose to study the external rotation as a means for failure. So can you explain for us a little bit of the thought process between, you know, how to test this in a cadaveric model and then why you chose to use the endpoints that you did?
1: Sure. Um, I think anytime I do a biomechanical study like this, you really have to start by thinking about the anatomy and what what role the structure that you're looking at plays in the body. So for this study, for instance, we're mainly interested in the capsule, and we know that the capsule is made up of several different ligaments, and each has a slightly different role in how it provides stability for the hips. And the main ligaments that we're interested in is the iliofemoral ligament or the ligament of Bigelow, and that's because the integrity of that particular ligament is what is sacrificed during a standard AP capsulotomy. And this ligament lies um, on the anterior aspect of the hip and is primarily responsible for resisting hyperextension. So when we want to test any sort of reconstruction or repair after having capsulotomy on this particular ligament, we want to um, hyperextend it until it fails. So that's why we would choose something, for instance, like hyperextension for this particular model. So the other thing you want to think about is reviewing the literature and seeing, you know, you want your study and your data to potentially be comparable if there is any comparable data in the literature so that people can review your data and compare it to other studies who have maybe looked at t or you know, other techniques. So I think that's also something to consider when you're putting together your study design and what sort of models you'll
0: be using. Excellent. You make it sound so easy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't, yeah. Well, um, I think over time it does get easier. Yeah, well, it definitely helps to have someone with your expertise explaining it all. (laughs) So (laughs) let's discuss some of the limitations of this current model. You mentioned a few of them earlier. But can you take mm-hmm. us through some of the inherent limitations of this ca- cadaveric biomechanical model, and then, you know, perhaps some of the limitations based on what you chose to investigate with this specific model versus what you chose not to investigate? You know, such as uh, you, you using an interportal capsulotomy instead of, say, a T capsulotomy to study.
1: Like any biomechanic study specific to cadaveric models, the main limitations are lack of musculature, obviously, our able to account account for any sort of biological healing. And so we're always sort of looking at this time zero point where we're, you know, immediately after surgery. So that's one limitation. We're not really looking at this over time. The other limitation is sample size. So these are very complicated. Each could ever take, you know, maybe an entire day or maybe you could do two a day. So, so you're obviously limited by sample size. They're also relatively expensive, so depending on your your funding. So part of the reason we didn't investigate the key capsulotomy or expand the scope of the research project we were doing was really limitations related to time, you know, the fellow's time. He was only here for, you know, his year. And then funding and not being able to just, you know, test 15 so we really chose to test and focus on the standard capsulotomy. And that's because I think when surgeons are performing a capsulotomy, they really want to limit the incision. And so you're correct when, you know, we talk about the key capsulotomy providing better visibility. Future studies could be investigating, you know, key capsulotomy between a, um, a simple your techniques
0: with your figure eight. So that would be something that would maybe be a separate study. Great. And, you know, here, maybe this is a good time to kind of go over the conclusions of your study. Um, so this study, um, you know, the conclusions uh, as published were that the hip capsular repair using either the four simple stitch or the two figure of eight configurations uh, with an interportal capsulotomy, Dem- demonstrated com- comparable failure torques and similar stiffness in a cadaveric model. So, with all the limitations that you discussed uh, in mind, um, it seems that with uh, whatever technique a surgeon prefers, either the simple suture or the t capsulotomy that there is no uh, significant benefit to one over the other. So that surgeons should continue to you know choose what they are both most adept at. So, you know, given the conclusions mm-hmm. of this study what are what are some of the ways that you think we can answer other remaining questions we may have related to the hip capsule? So thinking back to your friend who had this uh, failure in her hip capsule after a hip arthroscopy, um, have mm-hmm. you thought about different biomechanical models that we can create to study this?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, it's really difficult to, with soft tissue especially, to look at different models other than the categoric model. You know, just because we are bipedal and we are one of the few <laughs> animals out there that are bipedal, so coming up with a different model is certainly difficult. But I think, you know, continuing to ask questions specific to capsulotomy and focusing on perhaps long-term clinical studies to see these differences and how they fare in the human body if for longer periods of time will really answer the question as to, um, you know, how these fare both over time and with cyclic loading or repetitive motion, which is something that, you know, we can kind of replicate in the lab to a certain extent, but, you know, five, 10 years out is, um, it'd be interesting to see how these
0: different techniques fare. Excellent. Now, uh, as we wrap up here, uh, what advice do you have for our listeners? Who would like to study clinical questions such as the one here that you and your authors posed with biomechanical or cadaveric models? Gosh, come visit my lab. <laughs> I, um,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm very fortunate to work with many well-respected orthopedic surgeons who are kind of, I would say, always pushing the field to the next level. So we're, you know, we're constantly looking at new studies, but um, the, the relationship between orthopedic surgeons and biomechanists like myself is really a a symbiotic relationship because, you know, um, a good clinical question won't go far without a solid study design. And I think in order to get a solid study design, it's important to work work with somebody who's familiar with putting a hypothesis and specific aims together and, um, you know, having a proper statistical design so that you can really provide a meaningful answer to your clinical question. And then likewise, a solid study design means nothing if you don't have a clinically relevant question um, that is really going to be important and change the direction of the field. So, so like I said, you know, it, it's sort of a symbiotic relationship where uh, we work together. And so if you want to do kind of, um, if you have a clinical question and you want to look at it uh, in a biomechanical model, I would say um, to pair up with a um, biomechanics and kind of map out how you would how you would analyze that in the
0: lab. And I think one component of your collaboration with surgeons that uh, may not be immediately apparent is the fact that you do work across various subspecialties in orthopedic surgery. Um, as as you know, the field of orthopedic surgery is getting more and more subspecialized. So, for example, in my practice, I no longer do any hand or foot and ankle surgery, and so you having that. Right cross-collaboration across all of these different subspecialties, I bet, uh, is, you know, ripe for cross-pollination between, you know, these various uh, joints across the body.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's true. And I think having an understanding how one system works helps you better understand or, you know, be able to step out of the box a little bit and look at things differently for a different joint system. I think sometimes when people get really focused and narrowed about, you know, only analyzing the hip or the knee, you might miss the bigger picture. So um, I think it's important to kind of keep a wider um, field of view so that you can capture things that might not be in your immediate
0: focus if you were too specific to one area. Well stated. Well, thank you so much, Melody, for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Andrea. It was really a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Dr. Metzger's article titled, Comparable Torque to Failure Using the Simple Stitch Versus the Figure of Eight Configuration for Hip Capsule Closure Following an Interportal Capsulotomy, a cadaveric study, can be found online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. This concludes our episode of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. Thank you for joining us. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal.